You know, there is a saying that a person's crisis reveals a lot about the person's character. I like to add to the statement that a person's crisis also reveals the characters of the people around them. You know, one good thing about going through crisis or bad time is a, that's when you find out who are your real friends or families are. As we've been studying the tragedies of David, we see not only David's characters and faith in God, but also the characters of various people around David. Some are good, some are bad, some are ugly. Is that familiar to you? The good, bad, and ugly? It came out of a movie title, the classic movie title, Clint Eastwood. If you don't know, that's fine. Since two Sundays ago, We've been watching David's darkest tragedy. That is, his son Absalom tried to kill him in rebellion, and David ran for his life second time in his life. He was leaving Jerusalem, weeping aloud as a shameful, heartbroken mourner, let alone father. Today we will see the reactions of others around David to his tragedies. So here, I want us to learn how to behave and how not to behave when some people are going through hard times. I also pray that character studies today will improve our own characters as a faithful, kind friends to people in our lives. So we're going to look at the ugly, the, we're going to go to the reverse order, the ugly, the bad, and then good. And we will, first two people we'll see are ugly. And the first of them is a guy named Ziba or Ziba, but I call him Ziba. So if you look at the uh, Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 to 4, says this. When David has gone a short distance beyond the summit, summit of a Mount Olive, there was a Ziba, the steward of a Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and the skin of wine. The king asked Ziva, why have you brought all this? Ziva answered, the donkeys are for king's household to ride on, the bread and fruits are for the man to eat, and wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the wilderness. The king then asked, where is your master's grandson? Ziva said to him, he's staying in Jerusalem because he thinks, Today the Israelites will restore to me the grand, my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, All that belong to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, my lord the king. Ziba was originally servant of King Saul. When David became a king, David was looking for any surviving member of King Saul's family to repay the kindness of his best friend, Jonathan. Do you guys remember Jonathan and David? They were best friends, and they made a, a, a lifelong pledge that if anyone survived, he will take care of the other one's family. So Ziva told, uh, uh, told David about Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, and David returned the wealth of Saul to Mephibosheth, as well as making Ziba a steward of Mephibosheth. Today we find Ziba to be 
not a faithful steward to his master, Mephibosheth, but actually he was a sneaky, sneaky faker, faker. He brought a massive amount of food and drinks and means of transportation to David in the most critical time as his support for the desperate king. And then David asked, how come you came alone? Ziva lied about his master. He said, well, my master, Meshboshes, is hoping that you and your son kill each other so that he can get his grandfather thrown back. That was a lie, if you read the Bible. And to save time, I encourage you to read uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19. Because a lot of unfinished story here today, you will find the closer in chapter 19. That's your small homework, okay? Now, actually, according to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 19, Ziva left Mephibosheth behind to make it look as if Mephibosheth did not support David. And the, this report from Ziva hurt David because in this time of crisis, last thing he needed to hear was another friend turned against him. And David extended many, many grace to Mephibosheth. At least he expected a little bit of a return of that kindness to him. So with a disappointment, David told Ziva, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours now. So David assumed that Ziva told the truth. And he rewarded Ziva's royalty and punished Mephibosheth's alleged disloyalty. And that was the exact outcome Ziba was hoping. So who is Ziba? Ziba was an example of someone who wickedly exploited others' crisis for his own benefit. In one word, Ziba is an opportunist. He's a sneaky opportunist who exploited other people in their crisis. And I don't think many of us you know, would behave like a Ziba. So let me point out the other important lesson here. That is a David. What's the lesson that we learned uh, about David from his dealing with a Ziva? Do you notice that David was a duped today? He was a deceived. He was a conned. He was a duped by Ziva. Why? Why was a David not able to discern the lies of a Ziva? Why didn't he? Be, why did he believe Ziba's report without checking out? With Mephibosheth listening to the other side. By the way, when you hear someone's accusation or allegation against someone else, always verify. Always don't assume. I learned it in hard way. When we are, why is David, you know, duped? Listen to me. When you are hurt, when we are hurt, we are often prone to be duped. Because that's the time when we feel we are so easy for us to distrust other people in our disappointment and discouragement. That's when we lose faith in people. That's when we become skeptical and cynical about people. So David probably thought, if my own son betrayed me, how much more the grandson of my former enemy, adversary Saul, would betray me. So it's so easy to believe in a crisis that a whole world is against you. And you are doomed because everyone is against you and God doesn't care about you. And that is a lie of Satan. That is a lie of Satan. So 
Don't be duped like a David. Amen? That's the first lesson about ugly guy one. Let's look at the second ugly guy. His name is Shumai. And for that, we're going to read uh, chapter 16, verse 5 to 14. It's a little bit wrong, long, so let's read it responsibly. So I'm going to read first, and you read the following. As a King David approached the, uh, Bahurum, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David, all the king's officials with the stone, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scunderer. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given you the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then the Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this death dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, Why does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is a cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can say, Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him, and just showering him with the dirt. King and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. There he refreshed himself. So Shimei was a distant relative of a former king Saul, and he resented David for replacing dynasty of Saul. Today, he not only rejoiced David's tragedy, he revealed his anger toward David as if justice was served. He came to David, cursing continuously, throwing stones, and shouting, you murderer, you scunderer. You know, Shumai was about as offensive a person could be. He wanted to destroy any shred of dignity that David left. He was mad as a hell, and I called Shimai the road razor. Shimai the road razor. By the way, there are people who, always there are people who are ready to rejoice when a leader falls. Yeah. You know, when there's extra fun to watch someone fall from their top, their grace and glory, instead of feeling, you know, sad or compassionate for that person. You know, that's a sinful human nature. So let us resist our, you know, our you know, sinful, evil pleasure about others' failure. I want to quickly point out the two problems with Shimai, the road ragers, you know, ranting. First of all, his ranting was incorrect. Verse 8, he said, The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you have shed in the household of Saul. None of a tragedy came to none of tragedy came to David because what it did to Saul or Saul's family. It was not a David, but God who removed the Saul. David actually treated Saul and his family with a great love and graciousness. 
And we saw in the last two years, you know, last, or two years lesson, David actually spared the soul's life at least twice. David was not a bloodthirsty man. Yes, he was a man of war, but he is not a reckless murderer. Shimei was wrong because David did not bring Saul and his family to ruin. Saul himself brought his family to ruin out of his disobedience to God, and he killed himself. Now, second, Shimei's raging is not only incorrect, but also irrational to the point of endangering himself. You know, I called him road rager because, have you had a road rager? Road raging? You know, do you remember? I will show you, and then, you know, you drive like a, whatever, a street racer, and then your family, your wife and your children say, ah, you know, don't kill us. And then, no, and then, you know, anyway. All right. Those are left. I know you also had one. He was throwing, you know, Shimei was throwing rocks to who? Not just David. The army. The warriors around him. And David saw, you know, warriors. They are well known for bravery. And verse 9, the Abishai son of Zeruiah said to the David that a uh, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me just go over and you know, decapitate his, you know, him. You know, Shimei almost lost his head had David not stopped Abishai. By the way, do you know what happened to Abishai at the end? Once again, read 2 Samuel chapter 19. Just to, you know, he profusely apologized to David. And Abishai once again want to kill him. And David said, this is a good day. Why do, you, why do you spoil? Let him be. So, anyway. And then David's response, that's what we're going to look at it. Verse 11. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. David didn't try to shut up Shumai. He didn't close his ears to unpleasant or critical word. David was willing to hear what God might say to him through a cursing critic. David let Shimei speak because he was not a bloodthirsty man. Ironically, if David were the kind of man Shimei said he was, Shimei would be dead. David let Shimei speak because he saw the hand of God in every circumstance. He said the Lord told him so. He knew God was more than able to shut Shumai up, but David, so David didn't need to give the order. David let Shumai speak because he put the, this is a, David has a Shumai problem. This is irrational, incorrect, this uh, very, very, you know, annoying critic into perspective. And David said, See, my own son who came from my own body tried to kill me. How much more made this Benjamite? You know, David knew there is a real problem. It's not Shimei, but Absalom. Absalom is my real problem. So he didn't lose that perspective. So David let Shimei speak because he knew that God's hand was on the future as well as in the present. In verse 12, he said, It may be the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. 
David knew that if he did what was right in the present moment, God would take care of his future. So rather than reacting to incorrect and irrational critic, David was resolutely looking at God and relying on God's covenantal love. You know, English uh, uh, Baptist preacher named Campbell Morgan commented on this passage in this way. He said, this is a radiant, radiant illustration of a deep inward peace given to any man who is living in fellowship with God in motive and desire. You know, once I heard uh, D.L. Moody, famous, you know, uh, American, you know, uh, uh, evangelist, D.L. Moody was maliciously criticized by some pastor, envious pastors in Chicago. His reply was, his reply was that, well, actually, they don't know that I am worse than what they say I am. I'm a sinner. But Christ loves me. And that's more than enough. Christ's love for me is greater than all their critics. That's enough. So when, you, when critics irrationally, unfairly criticize you, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged by the critics, but direct your attention to God. Those who seek God in humility, God will exalt them and empower them. Now, Let's see the bad character in David's story, or David's crisis. That's Hithophel, the betrayer. My mouth is dry. It's hard to pronounce. He, you know, Hithophel, Hithophel. So look at the verse 16, verse 20 and 21. Absalom said to the Hithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? Hithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubine whom he left to take care of the palace, then all Israel will hear, you, hey, you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So they pitched the tent for Absalom on the roof, on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Hithophel told Absalom, Absalom, Go into your father's concubine. Why? Two reasons. First, Hithophel told Absalom to do something so offensive that it would eliminate any possibility of a reconciliation with his father, David. You know, Hithophel felt this strong you know, sentiment would give a courage to all the followers of Absalom. And Hithophel knew David. And he know David's character. So he know that there's a possibility that David could, you know, forgive Absalom and they could be reconciled. And if that ever happened, everyone who followed Absalom's rebellion had no future. Especially Hithophel, who was a former advisor of David. You know, ancient world, taking king's concubine was not an act of immorality but also is an act of a treason. This is... Okay, that's my wife. And yeah, it would be A plus if she opened the bottle. <laughs> Here is a spoiled, ungrateful husband, but so be it. 
Thank you, honey. Absalom was committing not only incest, but much more treason. This is a way for Absalom not only replace David, but also completely repudiate his father. Hithophel gave us such obnoxious advice, basically to ensure his own self-interest. And second, this advice of Hithophel shows the power of a bitterness. Yes, bitterness. He was willing to see this woman abused, and Absalom grievously sinned, and the kingdom of Israel suffered through the war. All this to satisfy his bitter longing for revenge. How do you know Hithophel was revenging? Those of you, you know, just came today, Hithophel was a grandfather of Bathsheba. And uh, the, anyway. So look where this radical offensive act was taking place. According to verse 22, it was uh, where? They pitched the tent where? On the roof of a palace of David. Why roof? Do you remember what happened on the roof in the chapter 11? That's where David saw Bathsheba, Hithophel's you know, granddaughter, and the whole scene of adultery began. So he is a paying back David, exacting the same pain. By the way, all of this also was prophesied by the Lord. Right after Nathan confronted David for his sin of adultery and murder, God told David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, This is what the Lord said, Out of your own household, I'm going to bring a calamity on you before your very own eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with you. Uh, he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight. So one thing for clear, God forgave David, but God left David to suffer from consequences of a sin. So don't get confused that too. It's like you have a horrible alcoholism and your spouse forgave you. They didn't leave you. They decided to stay with you. They didn't, you know, they, they stuck by you. So they forgave you. But what happened? Your liver will not forgive you. You will suffer from your damage, you know. Uh, uh, condition. Now, the ultimate betrayer, you know, Hithophel, came in the next chapter. That is uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Let me read quickly. Hithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he's weary and weak. I would strike him with a terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king, only the king, and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you will seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed to good to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. All the elders of Israel. Hithophel proposed a quick closure of a rebellion by attacking David before he had time to regroup. So he said, Absalom, we don't have to, you know, do a huge battle with David. Let's just do simply precision killing. Give me the best troop and let me go and, you know, kill him right away. This advice of Ahithophel was a deadly and almost doomed David until 
the good character name of Hushai, step up. So let's look at the good character here. By the way, do you remember Hushai the archite? You know, in the last week that he wanted to join David when he was fleeing, and David said, don't, don't come with us. You stay behind and spy on Absalom. That's how you helped me. Do you remember? So let's find out what Hushai the good, he's a good, did in chapter 16, verse 15 and 19. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And Hushai the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, So, this is a love you show to your friend. If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, and by the, these people, by all the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son, just as I serve the father? So I will serve you. Hushai earned the trust of Absalom by appeasing his ego. When Absalom was questioning his royalty, Hushai said this, I'm not royal to the person per se. I am loyal to God and people of Israel, and, and you are the one that whom God chose. You are the one that people accepted. You are the one that the, all the warriors decide to follow. He boosted Absalom's ego. And with that boosted ego, Absalom trusted, believed Hushai. And then later in chapter 17, he asked him about the Hithophel's you know, advice. And this is what uh, uh, Hushai saved David. So look at the chapter 17, verse 7. Hushai replied to Absalom, Hush, The advice of Hithophel has given is not good this time. You know, Hushai didn't say Hithophel's advice was bad. But he simply said, not good this time. Do you, do you, do you see the difference? He you know, how subtly and uh, even humbly he negated the wisdom of Ahithophel. You know, he was saying that, yeah, he's a great, and I'm never good. But perhaps this time, I think uh, I'm right, and, uh, you know, I'm, my idea is better. Kind of a uh, uh, king. Would you like to hear my, my idea? Kind of very, very subtle way. And then he said, verse 8. You know your father and his men, they are fighters, and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of their cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, he's hidden in a cave or some other place. You know, David, that's known. David actually slept a lot of caves. If he, should attack, if he also should attack, that means that David, as a seasoned warrior, he might expect some kind of ambush, and somehow he was ready to you know, he, he kind of re-counter-attack. Your truth first, whoever hears about it will say, there has been slaughter among the troops who follow the Absalom. Then the bravest soldier whose heart is like a heart of a lion will melt with fear. So all Israel knows that your father is a fighter, and those men with him are brave. Here, Hushai was exaggerating David's experience as a seasoned warrior. As well as, with that, he's scaring Absalom, a novice warrior. And then Hushai once again went to Jogonath 
of Absalom, which is his ego. Ego. So listen to this. Verse 11. So I advise you, let all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as a sand on the seashore, be gathered to you, with you and yourself leading them into battle. And then we will attack him wherever he may be found. We will fall on him as the dew settles on the ground. We, that means we overwhelm him with the number. Neither he or any of his men will left alive. If he withdraws into the city, then all Israel bring ropes to the city, and we will drag it down to the valley until not so much as a pebble is left. Hushai gave exactly opposite advice of what Hithophel recommended. He was telling Absalom, go big. Go big. Gather a big army from, you know, everywhere in Israel. And then lead the army. Why do you give the honor of killing David to Hithophel? You should get the victory. You should be recognized. We are all behind your king. And now look at the conclusion of uh, everything today. Verse 14. So wake up and listen to this. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the Archite is better than that of Hithophel. And then the next comment is this. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Hithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Hushai's advice saved David's life, gave him actually time to regroup, if you read of uh, the rest of chapter 17. And in this conclusion, I want, you to, I want us to recognize that David's life was saved because of a threefold grace of God. There is a threefold grace of God. This threefold of grace of God is like a three-strand code. What are the three, you know, fold grace of God? That is uh, providence, prayer, and friend. This providence of God and David's prayer and a friend like Hushai interweave the grace of God to save David. God saved David with his providence when David earlier prayed to God in chapter 15, verse 39. Soon as he heard that Hithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, David prayed to God, Lord, turn the Hithophel's counsel into foolishness. And God answers this David's prayer to frustrate Hithophel's counsel through the good friend, Hushai's wisdom. I want you to see, I hope you see this beautiful spiritual tapestry of a life. When we face crisis and challenges of life, we must remember, prayer moves God's heart and hand. I told you last week, don't underestimate the desperate prayer. You know, my youngest daughter who just went, returned to uh, uh, UT as a sophomore, she said, that was a real encouragement because I think I'm going to do a lot of desperate prayer this coming year. They said, yeah, I did that too, so go ahead. You know, you will have a lot of desperate prayer during a midterm and finals. Go for it. You know. And also prayer and God's providence come through faithful friends. You know, God's number one instrument is people, especially faithful people. I hope you recognize that. 
You know, today's story, we find that Absalom has the smartest man in Israel on his side, right? He has the smartest man on his side. He has a large number of people. All elders of Israel is with him, right? He had a greater number of people, even smartest person. David didn't have that big number, but David has a faithful friend. And guess what? David's faithful friend overcame the smartest advisor through God's providence. In Psalm 55, David expresses appreciation and joy of a faithful friend in this way. If an enemy were insulting me, if I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed the sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. All we need is not many friends, but a few good friends. You know, when it comes to friendship, quality matters far more than quantity. David has a few friends than before, but that was enough for him because they are faithful and committed. You know, I pray that everyone find the good friends at Forest. Yes. If this is church for you, it means you find the good friends here. If you don't, move on, seriously. I pray every Christian find the good friends in whatever their church is. And much more than that, I also pray that everyone becomes a good friend to others wherever they are. And I want to rem remind you this. Faith grows as a friendship deepens and expands. You know, we said the, uh, the Christian faith is that a relational faith. So it's a relationship with God and each other. You know what that means? As your spiritual, spiritual growth simply means growth in friendship. Growth in friendship. And I really pray as a pastor, my daily prayer for Forrest, that the Forrest friendship is a Christ-centered, intentional relationship that transcends the socioeconomic and the ethno-cultural boundaries. In Christ, we can really support one another. That's what I pray, and that's why we do, you know, house church ministry. You know, house church ministry is our actual commitment to Christ's, you know, commandment. John chapter 13, that if you love one another, that's how the world will know that you are my disciple. It's not when you and I know the whole Bible, that's when the world will know we are disciples. No, when you and I love one another as Christ commanded us and showed us to love us, that's how the world will know. world will know we belong to Christ. When we care for one another, that's how our VIPs we know that we belong to Christ and what Christ means to us. And I want to, you know, tell you one more time. I feel like I'm preaching the choir, but that's why we go to the forest annual retreat to get to know each other better and bond deeper. Do you know forest annual retreat that we are going in September? Those of you knew, the second most highest budget item in our church annual budget, next to the mission, you know, our mission budget is a... Uh, 
little over 15% of our budget in total you know, revenue. And then next you know, biggest budget is uh, our retreat. Why do we spend so, money, so much money in our church retreat? In a, such a fancy place. I mean, to me, it's a fancy place, yes. No bunker bed or hotel lodging. You know, did you, oh, you'll see the video one more time. You know why? Friendship and the fellowship matters to God and the kingdom of God. Some of you heard that, you know, Proverbs 18, you know, uh, those who have an unreliable friend, they come to the ruin soon, but there is a friend who sticks closer than brother. Do you hear that? Friend who sticks to you, sticks closer than the brother. You know, life is all about friendship. I had a great vacation this summer, just, you know, a few weeks ago. Why? My children is no longer kids. When they were kids, vacation was my servitude, my indentured servitude. I have to do everything, drive, carry, feed, or whatever. That was no fun for me. It was a work. No working vacation is actual work. I just want them to remember how, how much I love them. But now they're adult. We've got vacation. My son-in-law and the future son-in-law, they drove. I didn't even drive. I, for the first time, I was looking around all the nature and the beauty, you know. Man, they are becoming our friends now. They are my children, but more than my children. They are not friends. I miss my youngest daughter because she's my personal remote control. You know, now, you know, my butler, you know, is gone. And then whenever I have a computer problem, she comes out, fix it right away. Now, I have to fight with my Jamie. Ooh. You know, this week, somebody emailed me. He, you know, that person said, thank you for the message on Sunday. The message, you know, was helpful. And uh, the, the reason for that is that uh, I tend to want to deal with a crisis alone due to the wanting to maintain an image of being strong and independent to others. But I learned that it makes actually things worse and hinders relationship growing. So true. What is a Christian life? You know, Christian life is a growing our friendship with God and with each other. And I want you to really examine your own friendship today. Many of us, especially many core members of a forest, you have a set of your own friends. And they are good friends and good people. And you said, I already have all those friends I needed. Yeah. Is that how Jesus treated us? You know who our Savior and the Lord is? His nickname is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He went out of his way, actually, to the point of, you know, humiliation and then eventually, you know, Execution to love the sinners and tax collectors. Are you adding sinners and tax collectors to your friendship? Don't tell me you're a great Christian if you're not growing in friendship with the strange people, different people, even difficult people. That is how, you know, Christian life is supposed to be. 
forest members, why do you come church late, habitually? How many times did I tell you, come early? Why do, I, why do I want you to come early? You know, newcomers come early. They are on time. They come five minutes early. And then I see our, and so I want our members come early to welcome them, ask them. We didn't intentionally make a welcoming committee because it's not a committee's job. It's everybody's job. So if you are in the forest more than a couple weeks old, we expect you to come early and welcome those who come for the first time. But, okay. This I didn't write down in the text and now. Spiritual growth means of friendship growth. I really pray the forest will not be just another pious, organized, religious, you know, church or consumerism. I'm just blessed. I can go home. What about blessing other people with the blessing of Christ? Let me give a quick close on Hithophel, the betrayer. If you look at the chapter 17, verse 23, when Hithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he settled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order, then he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. When Hithophel saw his advice was not followed, he did not kill himself because his ego was, his feeling was hurt, but because he was wise enough to know that Hushai's plan, Absalom has no chance. So he knew that uh, the, the, the defeat is uh, on the way. So rather than being killed by, you know, David, he hung himself. Just like Judas Iscariot, another betrayer, hung himself. And think about Hithophel and Judas Iscariot. You know, these both guys were smarter than other people. But they thought their ambitions more than faithful friendship. And what's the end of their life? Without friends, they ended their life in the sad way. And I want to tell you this. There is a one friend that we all cannot afford to miss or lose. That is friend name of Jesus. I just mentioned. If you look at the John 15, John chapter 15, verse 15, just a couple hours before he was arrested, Jesus said this, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Our Lord Jesus Christ wants to be our friend. He called us a friend. Do you call Jesus friend? Those of you who haven't really received Jesus as your Savior and the friend, today is the day. Pray. Pray. Jesus, thank you so much the Son of God, Lord of the Lord, King of all kings, you want to be my friend and you want to really, really journey my life, journey with me in my life, it will be a great honor to be a friend. Pray that prayer. And those of us who already made a commitment to Christ, I pray, let us make a friendship count. Let us grow, expand our friends. Let's go join the Boba. After the fellowship, 
I'm talking about old people. People above 30s are old in our church. So join the v o b a and get to know the new people. And then welcome as well. Let's pray.